Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is reclaim your energy, passion, and time with my friend Ann Holm. How's it going, Ann Holm? Going great. Happy to be here. I'm glad you're here. Ann has been on my podcast many times. She is my executive coach or life coach, my my coach. She helps me immensely over the last, God, it's been like 10 years, although we haven't aged a bit, which is not a bit amazing. But Ann has written a brand new book, and the subtitle is Reclaim Your energy, passion, and time. And I think it's called, what is it called? Educator Bandwidth? Educator Bandwidth, Reclaim Your Energy, Passion, and Time. And I know all you guys are going, oh my God, Joe's making us listen to an educator coach. (laughs) Anne works a lot in logistics. She just happened to write a book with a friend about education. She works with a lot of logistics company, including a lot of people I've worked with in the past. So anyway, enough of my blather. Anne, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Oh, okay. Um, I'm Ann Holm, and my company is Uncover Your Potential or AnnHolm.net. It's, it has two. It has an alias. And I'm actually calling you today from Minnesota, but I'm a, a Michigan gal. Yeah, so it is interesting. You know, Why would you want to listen to this podcast today? When the it starts out, educator bandwidth, reclaim your energy, passion, and time. Well, as it turns out, this has broad appeal to multiple industries, if not every industry. It's just that you guys just happen to, you and Jane just happen to have some research on that. And again, I, yes. I, have, I have recommended, Ann and I used to do a lot of training and coaching. So I did the training part on sales stuff and, and did the coaching stuff. And I uh, joked, but it wasn't a lie. <laughs> and most of the people we won, people really like what Ann did for them. So Ann, before we get into the detail here, talk a little bit about your background before you were a coach. Okay. Just give us the bullet points. You've been on my podcast probably four or five times, but I'll put some links to some of those past podcasts, but give us the the, the bullet points about Ann Holmes' background. Okay. And actually, the bullet points are really relevant today, as a matter of fact. So prior to coaching, I worked with brain injured people for 25 years. So my knowledge of the brain, how it functions, how it functions well, how it can be taxed, et cetera, comes from actually being in the trenches for 25 years, working with brain injury and also stroke. So many of these concepts were first born out of my work with that population. After doing that for 25 years, I chose a career switch and I went to get my training in coaching. And I've been doing that for, (laughs) I'm going to really age myself when I say it's probably about 13, almost maybe 15 years now. So between 13 and 15 years. So that's a lot of years where I have helped people be better versions of themselves. The work that I did though with the brain was foundational as far as being able to create something that's research-based about how to function better. So, And if I could jump in, Anne, one of the reasons I really have enjoyed working with Anne is 
choose Myers-Briggs and some other tools, not just Myers-Briggs, but we've all taken Myers-Briggs if you were in school or the military, probably your work. It's been used millions of times per year. And yep. so some coaches, and I'm not even against this, they'll, they'll say, I've been there, done that. I, I know what you're going through, that kind of thing. And Anne won't always be able to say that, which is fine. But what she will be able to say is, here's your strengths and here's your weaknesses. And that's super important to me is being able to play to my strengths and understand my weaknesses and actually address some of them. Because I, I just said enough of my blather. And that really something I started saying after I started working with Anne, it was almost like a stopgap for me to remind myself to stop blathering on. So Anne gave me all sorts of great strategies like that. And um, again, that's one of my weaknesses would be blathering on. So I'll stop blathering on right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So so that was, yes. The other thing is, is that um, anything that I do when it comes to coaching is to uh, try to ground it in some other theoretical frameworks uh, using assessments. So that's one right. of them that I use. I use another one called positive intelligence, which is uh, a brain. I love that. One. I went through that program too, and I love it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, polarity, you know, the idea of the both and thinking, but I, I have uh, always kept up with as much training as possible to help individuals really understand themselves. So I like to blend all kinds of concepts when I'm doing the, my work. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing with logistics companies right now. Okay, so with logistics companies, I am currently working on helping them with personal and team development. So they're, especially with remote, remote work, as a matter of fact, many of these people work remotely. So you see siloing, for instance, where you've got somebody working, you know, in St. Louis and another person working in Chicago and another person working in Texas. And so trying to get them to work as a team, it's really fundamentally important for them to understand strengths and weaknesses so that they can work better together because they're not in the same office so you don't get some of that synergy and energy that you get when you work in the same office and you're basically you know working uh, through a screen and all of that so I spend a great deal of time helping individuals with their personal awareness what they can do to be better um, suited to work with their teammates that kind of thing yep and one of the things that we're actually having a conversation about before we hit record today and I know it's it's a concern everywhere Every industry is this idea of bandwidth. And and you taught me years ago, and I think you had me read a book, Brain, War, Brain something. I forgot. <laughs> brain something. Could have been Brain <laughs> right. Anything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it, it was Brain Rules. Brain Rules. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and it was talking about the executive function of our brain, which is, I think, one of the newest parts of our brain that allows us to switch back and forth to different projects. And it's it's the executive in charge of the brain. Like, here's where we're going to focus our energies. And I've read a few books since you know, over the last 10 years about it. And that that executive function part of our brain is what exhausts you at the end of the day. So, yes. And so when you go, oh, my God, I'm exhausted. But you realize you've walked, you look at your phone or you look at your steps counter and go, I walked 800 steps, yet I'm emotionally and physically exhausted. That's because the brain, the executive function has been tortured because we've been jumping between phone calls and trying to focus on what I call deep work and 
Slack meetings and messages from LinkedIn. And we're not meant for that. No, no, we absolutely are not meant for it. I'm, I mean, our brains have somewhat rewired over the course of the time that, uh, you know, the digital age has emerged, but we haven't fundamentally changed as a species. Our brains are not designed to do what we're asking them to do. It's the same with the damn food. Everyone's like, you got to eat like a caveman because our bodies are not that far from the caveman diet. And you're like, well, there's pizza and potato chips here. Did the cavemen eat those? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. How much much did cavemen actually drink? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. So let's let's switch gears and talk about this. Well, first off, I guess you wrote a book. So talk about, give us that introduction while you wrote that book, and that'll bring us into the topic today, which is reclaim your energy, passion, and time. And again, this applies to all of us. We we all need this, and it's additional bandwidth. And Anne's going to tell us how to get our bandwidth back. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to start with a story and how this all came to pass. So my partner, I have a working partner and we do projects together, Dr. Jane Casey. So she and I had been working uh, with emerging leaders in higher education, the there were colleges and universities. And so it started in, in 2013, we're working with these leaders and they were able to make their appointments and the people who had uh, asked them to participate in this program were able to do the 360s, you know, the kind of uh, feedback that is needed. The assessments, Yeah, everybody was able to make those appointments. There was no problem with it at all. So that was 2013. And then in 2015, all of a sudden, same program, same format. Nobody was able to make their same appointments. School? Uh, same schools. Everything. So everything was the same. So there's no, there was nothing here other than time that made that was a, a factor. Time, and of course, we're going to learn the demands that picked up from the digital age, but but more than that, even. So so we start we started working with this cohort in 2015 wasn't doing well at all. And so Jane and I said- You told me they couldn't even schedule appointments to talk this time. Yeah, they couldn't. I mean, it would be like, you'd you'd schedule them and then, oh no, we can't do that. And, you know, all of that. So I said, Jane, man, it's, this is very different experience. And then we were, you know, I thought, is there something wrong with me? You know, you don't want to talk to me. And Jane's like, oh no, I'm having the same problem. So she was actually the keynote speaker for this group. And she said, you know, what if they just don't have the bandwidth? And so we started talking about this. And of course, you know, that's, that's my expertise is the brain. Why don't you uh, describe what bandwidth is right now? Just so we got everyone on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So bandwidth is your ability to focus on tasks and get them done well, not be exhausted. So, you know, balancing your life in a way that you can function well without becoming exhausted or drop the ball or let the, some of the spinning plates fall, things like that. So it's it's effectively that. So we did a survey on the back of a napkin and said, why don't we just ask these people, you know, at 60 points, let's, let's find out. So it was things like, you know, things like multitasking, uh, they rated themselves on these various parameters and 60 points, some of them scored as low as 10. 
out of 60. So their bandwidth was really, really low and taxed. Now, this was 2015, right? So we're like, oh, my goodness, you know, this is this is a big deal. So we dug a little bit further and put together another survey and did some, we expanded the survey and said, okay, let's take a look at what we've got here. And we brought in a professor from Eastern Michigan University to help us look at it and see if it was getting at what it was supposed to get at. And he rearranged a few things, did some factor analysis, blah, blah, blah. And then that's where we came up with this survey that was validated by a a statistics professor from Eastern Michigan University. That became the bandwidth survey. People, and so then we started using it in other industries, business industries. I used it with some logistics people, for instance. And we all found out that this was a problem that was emerging and getting worse in multiple industries. People's ability to have the bandwidth to do what they needed to do without becoming exhausted, irritable, having their relationships crumble, etc. Yep. So that's where it came from. And from that, in 20. 19. So pre-pandemic, we decided to write the book and went through and brought in our best you know, research. And, and this, this is how we, how we came up with the book, was to address bandwidth. Yep. And, and, and I, I got Ann's book on Kindle. And it's funny, I'm used to listening to audiobooks now. And I got it on Kindle and then Ann <laughs> sent me an autographed copy. It'd be very valuable someday. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm looking at it, I, my master's degree in education, but I'm not an educator per se. I don't work at a college. I might speak at colleges, but I'm not, I'm not a professor. I'm not an administrator. I'm not a, a traditional teacher. But as I read the book, I'm like, yeah, this applies to all of us. And it just feels as if we, I remember when we got mobile phones, it was kind of like, isn't this convenient? I can call the babysitter to see if my kids are behaving. And I can check in. And then um, I remember how reluctant I was to get phones for my kids. Not not because um, they were going to be playing on it all the time, because there's nothing to play with at that point. But just because, God almighty, why am I buying my t- teenage daughter's phones, right? It seems so quaint now compared to what we now know are our phones. And again, great, great tools, but also... So they distract us. But it also feels as if this technology has allowed us to work kind of all day. So it used to be I go to work, I get there at 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock or whatever time I get there. And I go home at 5.30 or 6 or 7, wait, whatever. But when you go home, you're home. Seldom would you get a phone call. Maybe you would check your email on your laptop. But that wasn't the norm. And now it feels, and by the way, I don't have my email on my mobile phone anymore. I took that off because I think you told me to take it off. And not saying I don't screw around with my phone, but it's one less reason, one less reason to touch the phone at night. And it feels as if all this technology and being remote hasn't helped any. Our days of working and our personal lives just complete overlap. Yeah, that's very true. And and the one thing I want to say is that is very true. And it is a big factor, but it's not the only factor, by the way. It's there's What's multiple the other factors? factors. Oh, there's many factors. One of them is is having not having your priorities clear. So you're trying to be in two places at the same time. Yeah, for we'll instance. talk about that one. In we'll be talking about that. Yeah, it is sleep. It is 
exercise, it is food, it is organizational support, you know, do these things that you're trying to do to uh, maintain your bandwidth, is it supported by your organization? There's uh, multiple factors. I'll throw so. one, one more in there, Anne. We've talked about this separately. I work from home and I live here too. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are now working from home, but I did it much sooner. And one of the things I, I would do is I would turn the TV on just as background noise, and it'd be on one of the news channels. And then I would hear, usually it was bickering that would catch my attention. They'd be kind of debating some topic. And I and I would switch over to, I'd switch from CNN to Fox, there, and there'd be some more bickering. Then I'd flip over to MSNBC. And wh- wherever it was, there was political talk that just, after a while, I realized it's like having someone arguing in your house. I live alone, yet I hear arguing going on in the house. I got rid of cable, and it would—it felt really good. I got rid of it a long time ago, and now I—I—I I, I, I feel like I don't miss news at all. I still see what's going on. I feel like that wears people down, and I don't engage in all the political talk I have in the past. But more and more, I've come to the conclusion that I just want everyone to work together. I want these. And, and and but so many people, I think, are still angry about that stuff. Angry that the damn Democrats or the damn Republicans or the damn whatever. Stuff we didn't used to do. Well, I will. Okay. And so what I would say about this too, just broadly. So when a person is actually looking at their bandwidth, they have to come from a position of this thing that I call a blameless discernment, which is you're looking at these entities in your life and you're not looking to, you know, blame that guy or that outside factor or blame yourself because that, that just creates a spin. So what it is, is, uh, is an opportunity to take a lay of the land of the factors in your life that are affecting your bandwidth, your energy, your passion, your time. What is, what's impacting that? And to just Take a look at it as if you were an anthropologist kind of looking at the lay of the land. It's not a blame thing. And that's what the purpose, by the way, of this bandwidth survey is. I love that blameless discernment because I, I didn't call it that, but I do a lot of that. Like in, I know like people like you've told me, you don't look at your email first thing in the morning. Figure out what you're going to do. I do. I'm a, I'm a logistics guy at here. Yeah. I got yeah. used to the – and by the way, before that, I was in automotive. So you always want to check to see – Right. Did I get a message from the boss's boss saying be in my office at nine o'clock? So I want to check that one, right? But when I look at my email in the morning, I typically look and there's, you know, way too many, but I just kind of do the blameless discernment. I look, I go, I'm going to give myself two minutes. I mean, maybe less, unless I, I don't even open them. I'm like, okay, there's something from Ann. I know that's not urgent. This one, this one. Okay, good. Now, now I'll go sit down and figure out what my priorities for the day are. And I will say this, I'm aware of this now, sometimes if you're in an anxious state where you're like, I'm worried about a project, I'm worried about, you don't feel like you can do that. You just get in this like, well, I better check. I better see if there's any nasty emails about that load I didn't cover, right? I want to see if my boss heard about it yet. And then you're your blameless discernment becomes more of a, I'm panicked and I want to see how bad it is, how bad it is. (laughs) Yeah. You start spinning around and all of that. And so the, 
when we looked at bandwidth both in education but in you know I've seen it in logistics Jane has had other corporate clients as well so we've we've got a lot of data about this idea of bandwidth and what we do know is that we have a finite amount of it and there are ways in which we bleed it almost like small pinpricks on a tire and it leads to this depletion and then over time we get burned out we're not excited about what we're doing anymore we feel like we never have enough time etc so those are the those are the key concepts in this in this so my right to say that that executive function part of our brain is kind of where you would call the bandwidth lives there or is it across my whole brain well the bandwidth largely lives there to be sure so we're abusing we're abusing that executive function part of our brain it's not meant to do 60 moves per minute. Right, right. Well, which is what makes us makes us so de-energized. So we've got to hit it from two angles. We have to look at what we're doing to drain it. We also have to look at what we're doing to fill it. So, the you know, when you take the bandwidth survey, you're looking at both pieces of it. And then the third thing is what's the organization doing to support those other two pieces. So you need all all three of those. But so things like, you know, there's a chapter in the book about principles of sleep. There's a chapter in the book about how you nourish yourself. Uh, you know, that's just coming in this way. And then, uh, you know, in this way is, well, what are you doing to deplete it, to scatter I'm, it? I'm, I can tell you, I can be the very worst of this. First off, I tend to be a night owl. I would have, I would be having like a glass of wine and then I would have a Diet Coke. It'd be like 10, 11 o'clock. I would think nothing of having a Diet Coke or a glass of wine or even sometimes both. And then playing around on my, on my phone or on my computer. And then later on when you don't sleep well, you go, God, I don't know. I didn't sleep well. You're like, couldn't have been the alcohol that I had. It couldn't have been the caffeine or the blue light on my phone. See, now the blameless discernment, you would be able to identify all three of those three things and say, okay, that's probably what it was. Not you stupid idiot, that's what it was. Or if there was, I wish there was no such thing as, you know, Diet Coke, wine, and blue screen. But you, you take a step back and just say, all right, these are probably the factors. Right. And so it's interesting. So I, I kind of tried to cut out, like, I don't. I, I don't have just like a glass of wine anymore. Like the only time I would drink would be like socially. During COVID, it seemed as almost that it just grew like, oh, not that like I was drinking a lot, but even a one or two drinks after a certain hour will keep you awake. And, oh, yes. Or I would actually fall asleep and wake up and not figure out why I woke up. Caffeine I cut out later at night. And it's a funny thing. Um, it's harder to cut out the phone. It's harder to cut off the computer. But I've done a much better job because I I absolutely realize what you're saying is true. If you don't sleep well, everything, especially as you get older, when you're young, you 20-somethings are going, what do you mean? I don't need to sleep. And maybe you don't yet. <laughs> but at some point, it's you're going to realize when I don't sleep well, I don't work out the next day. I don't eat right the next day. And I don't get, I don't get my work done the way I want to get it done. Well, anyway, and I want to talk about, we had three points we want to talk about besides the, so the first one you had told me about was this being in two places at once. What do you mean by that? Okay, so the multiple ways we can look at this. Basically, the brain was not designed to, to do two things at one 
time. I mean, we can, you know, uh, wash dishes and have a conversation. That's not what I mean by that. But anything that involves uh, the prefrontal cortex, the brain requires that you focus on one thing at a time. Now, if you are then turning to another task, you are doing a thing called task switching, which means you're letting go of that information and that focus. Well, isn't that's multitasking? Used to be sounded like I I, I used yeah. to see it on on job descriptions. Must be able to multitask. Right, right, and the better description would be must be able to task shift without collapsing. So, so that's one version. But, but of we it. need to avoid it. Yeah, yeah. So, and then, but the other version, which is a sneakier version of it, is this idea of trying to be two places at one time. So, this is more about trying to address multiple priorities all at the same time. So, it would be here would be a classic example. So, you go to your kid's soccer game and you have your phone in your back pocket and you're checking your phone and you're supposed to be watching the soccer game, right? So you feel a little bit guilty because you're not watching the soccer game, right? But then you feel a little bit guilty that you're not, if you're, you know, doing this, you feel a little bit guilty because you're not monitoring your phone. And so you're doing this split all the time. This Or the, I have to go visit my mother and it becomes a like a, a a thing that just sits on the back of your head and and makes you f- feel like no I should be doing that no I got work to do I've, but it actually really drains us so we have to decide what's my priority at the moment because it's in that trying to do two at once that we really really drain our bandwidth so so for example, you go to the soccer game and you go, all right, I'm going to go to the soccer game. And you say, but I do have to know what's going on with work. You do have your phone in the back pocket. So what I would say is put on a timer for 30 minutes and put that thing back in your pocket and watch the soccer game for 30 minutes. Then the alarm goes off. You can take the phone out of your pocket. You can look. All right, nothing there. Put it back in your pocket, set it for another 30 minutes, right. and watch. So that way, you don't have to have both things on the stove baking at one time. You're focusing on one. Those are huge bandwidth drainers. Yeah. Huge bandwidth and, drainers. And I had read a book, uh, I think it was called Deep 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 Work or Deep Thinking, something like that, not so long ago. And um, they talked about when you switch – from one task that might require one part of your brain to another task that re- that tasks another part of the brain, sometimes there's this residual like we can't switch as quickly as we think. So we think I stopped I stopped doing this analysis in an Excel spreadsheet, and now I'm going to go talk to these other guys about something else. We think we can just turn it off. The brain doesn't move as quickly as we think it does. So you're still kind of stuck in your last task sometimes. Well, there's actually somebody who measured how long it takes to get in full flow for a a task. And it's 24 minutes and 17 seconds on average. Somebody actually measured that. I would say a lot of times, and myself included, we don't work on something 24 minutes long without checking the phone, without checking the emails. So it, it, it it's re and, and by the way, I'm I, I'm not somebody who gets a million phone calls. If I was at a ringing phone next to me, that makes it even worse because I know I have to take some of them. Maybe I can let some of them go, but I can't let them all go. 
Well, here's the, here's the point. If the that it takes that long. In fact, when Jane and I do workshops around brain and bandwidth, we actually give out those do not disturb signs. And on one side it says, "Please do not disturb my do not disturb brain working and it takes 25 minutes to get back into flow." And you stick that on your door so you're not disturbed and then you flip it when you leave that says, okay, you can interrupt me now right. so that she so create that. Because in the old days, if you remember, if anybody's, you know, worked in, in any kind of organization, there was always a secretary that separated you from the boss, you know, and he'd say that she'd say, well, no, he's, he's, he's working on this and such, you know, let me take, take your message or whatever. So there was always something that buffered whoever was working from the incoming stimuli. Well, now we open the door wide open and we allow things to interrupt us all day long by choice. The open workspace that they, everybody championed for a long time, like, oh, we're no doors. Everyone that works in a cubicle. I think some companies are rethinking that. And I remember this from 20 years ago. Some, I worked in engineering most of my career and you would sit in your cubicle, but there's people who can see you because they're in the cubicles next to you. You're doing analysis. You're deep in, you know, maybe a new design or maybe writing a technical spec, whatever you might be doing. And then somebody just walks by and says, did you see the game last night? <laughs> and and there was some companies that had said, we're going to have quiet time from 8.45 till 11.45 every day. So you don't talk in this area. Yeah, there's all those things are, you know, very, very important. And that's the organizational support. We'll get to that. In that's a minute. the organizational support. And the other thing, again, is, is when you sit there and you and you appraise all this, it's, it's really important to just take a step back and be honest with yourself, not blame yourself, somebody else or, or the outside circumstances, but just take a step back and just look at it. Don't try to, you know, judge it or rationalize it. Take a step back and then see, once you take that appraisal, then you can see where, you know, those areas are that you can improve on with your bandwidth. Right. And and so we, we want to avoid multitasking, which is switching or task switching, as you call it, because it's not a good thing. <laughs> we want to avoid task switching and we want to avoid split priorities. So that's, you know. Having your brain in two places at the same time. Yeah, and I'll work. throw another one out there. Sometimes I'll look at my calendar and say, okay, I want to get this done by 9 o'clock, and then I'm going to do this from 9 till you know, 10, and then i got to get back to this other project. And sometimes I don't finish the 9 o'clock project, and all of a sudden I find myself doing it from from 8 till 9, and then I got a phone call, I had to do that, and then I get back at it later, and... I find myself kind of working on certain projects throughout the day, and I know that's not the right way to do it. Well, yeah, and just to put a, a, a cap on this first topic, in Brain Rules, it takes twice as long to do it when you're distracted with 50% more errors. That's just what happens. So we think we're being We think being we're being efficient and effective. And, and, and effective, but and, 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 and the... the we demonstrate this when we do workshops. We demonstrate this with a very simple, simple task, and we show that 50% more errors twice as long to do it. So it's there's not a lot of good reason to try to be two places at once, either by way of task or with your priorities. Yeah, and by the way, you, you, one of the things that I it's reclaim your energy, passion, and time, so you go, Oh, do I really need to be passionate? I'm just moving loads or whatever. I'm I'm, I'm moving I'm moving uh, I'm moving pallets of stuff onto a truck, right? 
but it does take your passion away for life because you do it can be all this stuff can be exhausting and that's correct anyway the next thing we had here was i wrote down cognitive steps what do you mean by cognitive steps okay so i'll start with a story about cognitive steps so i had a an athlete uh, who was a client of mine. He was a University of Michigan athlete. Wasn't as a me. Of fact. Okay, yeah. Wasn't you. <laughs> it was a University of Michigan athlete. <laughs> and he was telling me that he was not getting the grades that he wanted. And he said, you know, actually, my biggest distraction is my phone. Oh, wow. Big, you know, that's surprise, a surprise. surprise. <laughs> right. But look, give the guy credit for, you know, verbalizing that, that that is what it was. So I said, look, I said, there's this thing we use called cognitive steps. And I used to use it in brain injury, but it works for everybody. And that is when you don't want to do something, you need to create enough cognitive steps so that going to do that particular task or that particular thing you want to do takes more energy and effort than it is to just leave it and let it leave your mindset. So that's one version of it. Now, let me tell you how that played out with him. So I said, you know, I think you're going to have to, at least at first, add a lot of cognitive steps. So he and I agreed to to this thing. He was going to take the phone out of its case and stick it in backwards and wrap some duct tape around it and stick it in a box and wrap some duct tape on it and put it on a high shelf in his apartment. That's what he said it would take for him to forget about his phone and make it too much of a bother to access while he was trying to focus. So he reported to me that he ended up on the Dean's list. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Uh Uh-huh. And he said, and I really, really liked what I was learning. I've done the cognitive steps myself on with my phone where I'll put it on t- I use the timer function. So I'll put a timer on it and then I'll go put it in the other room and I'll work. And for the most part, as soon as it's out of sight, it's out of mind for me. I- I'll be working on something and then all of a sudden it'll go off and I'll go, oh, all right, I forgot about my phone. It's in the other room. And, and it almost feels like that wasn't that hard. And so I, I think... I think when it's right next to me, I pick it up all the time. I'm picking up right now and it's off. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it and it said, Joe, you know you want to. And I said, Yes, I do want to pick you up. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's not as it's not impossibly hard. And so I think also on the other side of that, we need to make fewer cognitive stuff for right. things that so, we want to do. What so I want to comment on one thing you said before. We go I go to the other piece of cognitive steps, and that is you said, this is what works for you. You put it in another room, you timer. That's, that's what works for you. So what the, the whole idea here is to take a step back, blameless discernment, see what would work for you. For that guy, it had to be that extreme. Right, right. Right? It had to be that extreme. But he's a college student. He's a Michigan athlete. So he probably oh, yeah. has all kinds of stuff going on on that phone. He's got girls returning his text messages. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. So whatever, you know, whatever it is, that's what it took. So it's, it's you know, for you, it, you know, putting it in another room timer, that does the trick. So you just want to take a step back. Okay, if that's not working, all right, what will? Do I have to take it another step back? Now, you can do the cognitive steps going in the other direction. That's exactly what one-click shopping is. If you don't have to put your email in, if you don't have to enter your password, let alone remember it, if you don't have to do my your name, your address, your credit card number, 
all of that. All of those things are cognitive steps. So websites that for shopping have that solved. They eliminated those cognitive steps and one click shopping, boom. So we can make that, that's just a, a, a fact of, of how our brains work. We can make that work for us. We can, you know, uh, reduce the number of cognitive steps it takes for us to go take a walk. Uh, we can reduce the number of cognitive steps that it takes to do some sort of work, you know, where you, you, you don't have to gather all your materials before you start to work. They're already there. There's just ways that you can reduce that. And I, I, I think you want to put the, if you really want to accomplish something, try to apply that one click shopping mindset, reduce those cognitive steps so that you can achieve that thing. And, 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 and I know we didn't talk about this separately. I know I've talked to you a lot about it is also if we get into the right habits, habits don't require the brain to think too much either. Cause it's, it's kind of just says do it. Right. So if I know that I wake up and I go for a walk every morning, I don't always have to give it a lot of thought once it becomes a habit. Yeah. Now the foundation of habits of being able to establish a habit is often cognitive steps. Because yeah. it's a lot harder to achieve a habit if it requires a lot of cognitive steps. And right. so a, and the way to extinguish a habit is to add cognitive steps. So they, cognitive steps is a huge, powerful way to set yourself up for good habits, get rid of habits that aren't serving you, and energize yourself. Yeah, and I, I had this up my own experience. I had COVID over the summer, and man, did it suck. It was like a horrible week. And I I needed to get back to the gym, but it was like a, 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 at least a month, maybe six weeks before I went back to the gym at all. And even though like part of me was like, I get back in the gym, I also knew like this is going to be ridiculous because my my breathing was off, right? I was I knew that was my second go around with COVID. And I know like it feel, felt like I was running wind sprints just to walk around uh, in the do some exercise. And I read this in Atomic Habits at, that just go to the gym and tell yourself, I'm going for 10 minutes. And so I would go over there and I'd say, I'm going to the gym 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is. But you get in the habit of going over there every day. At a certain point, you're like, yeah, I was just going to go over for 15 minutes, but I'm feeling good. And then all of a sudden it's half an hour, 45 minutes and, and you're getting your workouts in. So, so maybe it sounds overwhelming to go over and work out for one hour and be on the Stairmaster and all of that. But if you say, I'm going over for a ridiculously wimpy workout for 10 minutes. I can do that. Well, and, and <laughs> yep. And, and if you want to increase the possibility, you're actually going to show up at the gym and have your workout bag right in front of your door. So right. you can't get out the door without it. It's packed. You'd have to stumble over it to get out the door. Exactly. So we talked a little bit about trying to be two places at once and that whole idea of task, tasks shifting, bad, bad, bad. And then we talk about cognitive steps for the stuff we're trying to do. We want to make that easier. Take the steps away. One, one, one click shopping, as you said. And for the stuff that is that we're trying to get rid of, that is the example of wrapping your phone up in tape, putting in a box, <laughs> wrapping the box in tape. Whatever it, you got to yeah. do. <laughs> or if you have a, a spouse to say, here, take this phone and don't give it back to me for, for 45 minutes. <laughs> I used to say to my son, put your phone in a box of snakes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lots of rattlesnakes. Poo. <laughs> right. Anyway. We're, we're going to have to develop something with this technology to get. By the way, I remember one of my nieces told me 
she would go to college parties at her college, a little small college. And then when they would get there, everyone would drop their phone in a basket that they had at the door. And so I was like, oh, so you guys could all talk to each other direct? How, how weird was that for all of you? <laughs> that would be a really fun party idea. Actually, you can make it fun. That's another way to increase bandwidth. You know, have the have the basket and see see where it goes. So the last thing we kind of touched on earlier, the last thing you want to talk about was organizational support. So what do you mean by that? Okay. So I'll start with a story again. And this one is a story about a logistics company where they were getting emails all hours of the day, phone calls. The nature of the biz. it, it, It is. It is bleeding into everybody's personal time. So... So if a person said, all right, look, um, I'm not going to take any phone calls or emails for two hours because that's my time with my kids or, or whatever, right? But they're getting pressure from their organization and their coworkers. Oh, no, you don't. Get, on, you know, get online, whatever, right? So now you've got organizational pressures that are working against your best intentions to be only one place at, at, at a time. Going back to that first right. one, you're, you're going to be with your family. You're not going to try to be monitoring your phone and having dinner with your family. So what do we do about this? Okay, so what they came up with is two things. Number one, email a support at logisticscompany.com. So, and that email would be monitored by one person and it would rotate. Likewise, the phone it would rotate. So almost like the physician on call, you would take turns being in charge of monitoring this stuff and it would go to one place. So those were one way that you can can provide organizational support so that everybody benefits from the time to be able to be with their family. Okay. Or just away from that, away from the job. And I think what you described is easier today than ever before because when you and I were coming up throughout the organization you prided yourself on hey my boss would send me an email and I respond within you know 5 minutes and no matter what I'm always on the job don't worry I'm I'm 100% here but I think what we've all realized is that we're burning people out and now that we're working from home a lot of people are working from home a lot of people travel now but the covid's kind of waning and uh, you can be on 24-7, but that doesn't mean you're being as effective or as efficient as you would be if you said, I'm going to work eight or nine hours a day, and when I'm there, I'm going to be 100% present on the job. I'm not going to be bothered with playing around on the internet. And But I need my organization support to maybe say, we won't bug Joe seven nights a week with emails or calls after hours. We'll get him once a week. Yeah, exactly. So the, so in this case, this logistics company came up with that solution and, and they were able to, you know, execute that. So what we looked at and what we, re- we surveyed, we researched this and we handed it over to Dr. Husko over at Eastern Michigan University. We said, okay, you know, let's look at outcomes. Let's, let's see if what, you know, how these variables you know, if, if, if that makes a difference. And then we added in that, that piece about organizational support, you know, what if the organization actually steps in and says, we support you, we support you. The bandwidth jumped 
really jumped because they were getting support for the objectives that they were trying to do for themselves to increase bandwidth. So it's a huge thing to have organizational support. I got to think that people are going to be more satisfied and I think you're going to have less turnover. And I think that is going to be increasingly important as the baby boomers retire, there's going to be a, a labor shortage. And yep. I think we're, we're hearing it more and more. I've been in some, I've talked to executives every day and some of them have said to me, I don't send emails after a certain hour to my team because so they might write the email and not let it be sent until the morning. So I know I use Outlook and it, when I write an email after hours, it says, do you want to delay this till eight o'clock? Well, sometimes it doesn't matter to me. I'm not an organization. It's just me and a few people. But I think if you're the vice president and you're sending people emails at 10 o'clock at night, they're like, oh, he's working at 10 o'clock at night. Ugh, I feel like I have to, right? And even, let me just tell you this. Let me, even if you say, screw that, I am not going to send emails at 10 at night, there's still the dynamic tension that bakes in the back of your brain that says, I wonder if I'm you know, doing the wrong thing or there's guilt or there's something that just, you know, bakes at the back of your brain, even if you say, screw it. Yeah. My son-in-law worked at a company, financial services company at 7 PM, the system went down, all the computers, boom, gone. (laughs) So, so, and, and I don't think we can do that here in our biz, but we can manage it. And I think it makes sense to manage it because I think we can reduce turnover, increase satisfaction. And also I think you don't want ragged people working 13 hours a day, kind of half the day, right? I want them for my eight hours all in, nine hours all in. And- exactly. You want them to have energy, passion, and time. And the and the way to do that is by managing bandwidth and just, you know, just taking a look at it. Yeah. When I still worked in automotive, I was working within Chrysler. Now, I wasn't a Chrysler employee. I was a consultant. And I remember uh, they had a huge gym, massive. And I would work with a lot of directors and vice presidents on different initiatives. And it, those guys, their calendar is packed. A lot of times they'd say, can I see you tomorrow at seven? I was like, and when they say seven, you say AM or PM because they work both. And they were burning themselves out. And I noticed some of them started saying, don't schedule anything on my calendar or don't try and schedule anything on my calendar before this hour or after this hour. I have a life now. And it was kind of like, ooh, look at these guys. But here was the crazy thing. When I joined their the gym over there, those guys were more likely to be in the gym than anyone else. So, so these top performers, guys who are at the top of the organization, directors, vice presidents, they were taking time to work out. And I was thinking, yeah, they're coming back kind of refreshed like you are after working out. We're fresh like you are after a walk, we're meditating or whatever you might do. And yet everyone who works for them, not everybody, but a lot of people working for them are like, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. I can't work out during the day. Boss would think I'm not fully invested. But the boss is in there. <laughs> That's oh, The organizational support is huge. It's It's probably, apart from the different things that you can do by taking a look at your own bandwidth, is to also see if there's organizational support that is is present for that. And whatever those initiatives are, whatever you can come up with to rethink 
how you are using your bandwidth, your employees' bandwidth, is it's immeasurably powerful for employee retention, et cetera. I love it. I love it. So, Ann, I'm going to summarize. We'll get your final thoughts, and then we'll talk about how we can reach out and talk to Ann Holm. So the topic today, again, is Reclaim Your Energy, Passion, and Time with my friend Ann Holm. And uh, you gave us a little introduction about your book, and maybe hold your book up here when we're closing here. But um, we also talked about why we need to stop the multitasking or the task switching. Be present wherever you're at. Wherever you are, be there. Yeah. If you're at work, be at work. If you're at home, be at home. And then we talked about cognitive steps. So if I wanted to improve going to the gym or going for a walk or focusing on deep work, you know, that I keep putting off, I need to make that easy. And for the things that are slowing me down, like maybe checking my phone, get some habits that make it harder, add some steps, those cognitive steps that make it harder for me to do the bad thing that I don't want to do. And um, then you talked about organizational support, why we need organizational support to, we need the, the leaders of the organization to say, yes, it is okay for you to go home and not focus on work after this hour. Or if you're going to have to take after hour calls, it's after this time. Make it easy for your team to have guilt-free, <laughs> guilt-free yes. uh, enjoyment of their life. And they're going to be better employees because of it. Yeah, absolutely. I love the way you said guilt-free because guilt is a huge bandwidth drainer. Yeah. And by the way, and uh, I said this the other day when we were talking about the same topic. Every once in a while, I find my, and you, since you're my coach, you've heard me say this, but I find myself procrastinating around something and, and I'm overthinking it. I'm overthinking like, well, if when I send Anne this, she's going to respond back maybe negatively. When I send this, e- finally send this email, so I don't send it. And then the next day I'm like, it's not going to get easier that I didn't send it. So sometimes I'll find my priorities, my top priority move from Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday. And, yeah. and it's because of... I've come to the conclusion it's because sometimes when you're overtired, when you're too much invested in stuff, when you start overthinking, I feel like take a walk, take take a deep breath, go get that exercise, make sure you're getting enough sleep so you can show up and have clear thinking and not be – because I really do think – being tired makes you weak in your work. Oh, yeah. No, it's huge. In fact, there's a whole bunch of stuff on there in sleep or on sleep. The the thing that I want to point out is it's an invitation to take a look at yourself as an individual, as an organization. And there's no lectures in there that are going to tell you, well, if this is this, you do that or anything like that. It's a it's a it's a way it's a mindset that allows you to look at things differently and make the necessary changes and the research that is put in there is just to assist an individual to think it through at the uh, at the end of the book or at the end of each chapter there's actually some questions that will help somebody start to think about what they just read about and what how they're going to apply it to themselves because at the end of the day we we hear a lot of lectures about we should do this we should do that do that do that do that and it's not an advice it's not a book about advice it's a it's a it's a framework for somebody to take a look at themselves and almost self-coach yourself into a better bandwidth framework. Yes. I love it. I love it. So Anne, do you have your book 
handy? Can you hold I that up? I do. Yes, I do. Sitting right over here on this shelf. So it's called Educator Bat. We'll move it over a little bit. How to Reclaim Your Energy, Passion, and Time. So we'll put a link to that book. And again, even though it's for educators, I've read it. I like it. It's 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 just what we talked about today is rec- reclaiming your energy, passion, and time. And again, I think this is this is the stuff that we, what you do all day is is going to uh, not only impact your work but impact impact your happiness. So I really yeah, think we need 100%. to work on ourselves in this way. Yeah, no, I'm really happy that I could share it with the logistics audience. I have used it with logistics people because it's a, it's really a. It applies book. to us probably just as much as teachers because again, the, the nature of the work. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly it's um it's very it's very helpful. And if and listen, if you think oh, okay, well, I know a teacher who might you you know like to use this or whatever, you know, recommend it to them. But it's 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 a nice piece of work, and it's uh, it's not a pandemic book or anything like that. It's something that we started researching in 2015, so it's got a lot behind it. And readable. I've heard it's quite readable. People like reading it. I called it accessible. So it's very easy to easy to look at, easy to read. And it's set up in a way that, uh, that you know, it's not super dense where you have to read like page after page. It feels like, oh, I can look at this easily. So, Anne, um, how, do, how do we reach out and talk to you? What's the best way to talk okay. to you? So uh, you can email me. Uh, Ann Holm at annholm.net, A-N-N-H-O-L-M at annholm.net. I can be reached on my website. And on that website is also a link if you want. What is your website? Annholm.net. So A-N-N-H-O-L-M.net. And um, on there is a link if you want to schedule a free consultation because you'd like to explore this topic a little bit. Or any other problem you might be having. Or any other, yeah, exactly. Just come one, come all. <laughs> yeah, and and I should have um, said, I should say also, guys, I've worked with Anne for like ten years, off and on, and it's she has really helped me a lot. And I, I've said this on my other podcast when I started working with Anne, I was gotten divorced. I was working in a company that uh, I was trying to make sure I was doing the right things there, and uh, we'd done really well, but just some issues that I had, and then I felt like I was personal just stuff that was all kind of scattered and it was really helpful to talk to Anne and she's the one who suggested I started blogging which sounded so ridiculous at the time I started blogging and that was the logistics of logistics and which by the way she came up with the name and, <laughs> and I remember uh, she said just call it the logistics of logistics I was like oh, that's a good placeholder name <laughs> it's a placeholder <laughs> I've had for the last 10 years but yeah um, she's given me some advice that has really helped me and helped me in my career but what's interesting about it is I'm not a stupid person usually, but you can't, sometimes you're so close to your problems that you can't see the solutions. And just having someone who understands your strengths and your weaknesses, they can say your personality type typically struggles here. And you'll find, oh my God, yeah, exactly. And here's the way out. And it's not prescriptive, but when you start playing to your strengths and shoring up those weaknesses as required, you're going to be much happier and much um, much more successful. And now increasing your bandwidth. Yes, exactly. A delightful bonus. <laughs> exactly. And I'll put all those links in the show notes. Okay. And again, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It's always great to have you. Yeah, it was great. I'm glad I could share the information. All right. And uh, and thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. 
You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.